Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to talk to TJ Sullivan. And TJ is someone who is an entrepreneur in transition. And I think these are some of the best people that we bring on the show, is people who are going through sort of a reinvention and a change. And so we're going to talk with him about kind of what he's done the last several years and, and, and what he's doing now and where he hopes to be headed in the future. So I would like to welcome to the show TJ Sullivan. TJ, welcome. Hi, Tom. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, I could read bios about who people are and what they do and sort of the long list of everything they've done, sure. but I've sort of found it's better if you let the audience know who you are, where you've been, and where you're going. So so tell everybody a little bit about TJ Sullivan. Sure. Well, I'll just, I think the best place to start is around 1992 when I found out that one of my best friends from college was HIV positive and and uh, this was 1992, back when, you know, the AIDS crisis was about 10 years old and, you know, a diagnosis of HIV uh, infection was pretty much a death sentence. And so he and I started talking about what he could do with the time he had left to, uh, you know, make the most of, of the opportunity and while he was healthy. And so we talked about, wouldn't it be great to do a program for college students? And and so we started putting that together. And before you knew it, we put a program together uh, out there on the road. And for about seven years, we traveled all over the country and, and uh, did, we spoke to over 2 million college students. And I really think in that, in that important decade of AIDS awareness, as it spread out to the larger population, we played a pretty big role helping uh, the young college uh, population figure out how to stay HIV negative. So that was, the, that was for about seven or eight years. And when I was done with that, I decided to get off the road. I wanted to start a family. And I was really chomping at the bit to uh, own a, what I considered a real business, you know, a business with an office and computers <laughs> and all those things that we think an office is going to be. I had this vision of myself, uh, you know, being a big business mogul. And so I sure. started a, like walking in every day and everybody like pouring coffee and going, cheers, the boss is here. Hello, TJ. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which just is, like that. Which you is know, the I, way it always I, happens, right? Yeah. It always, you know, I never, I never foresaw the, uh, the HR issues and the insurance and the, all the other garbage that you have to deal with. I just, yeah, but honestly, you laugh about the coffee maker. Yeah. I wanted a coffee maker. You know, after seven years of, of uh, drinking coffee out of hotel uh, lobbies, I wanted, to, I wanted to have a place to go to work each day. And so I started this company and for 15 years built this company from, uh, I, I always laugh, we started with a folding table and two folding chairs. Uh, and that was it day one. We, got a, we had a room, uh, a two-room office behind a Hooters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but did it have a coffee machine? It did not have a coffee We that took a while. We had to work up to that, but uh, but uh, we did um, we did build it. Me and my first hire, uh, we built it uh, up uh, over time, and within fifteen years, we were the market leading uh, speakers agency in the college market, and had you know sixty five, seventy speakers and and facilitators, and we had the largest portion of the college market share, and we were a $6 million company. So it was pretty amazing. Well, and uh, you and I actually years. met because yeah. I was looking, as I started started my speaking career, I was looking at the college market, and you and yeah. I met because somebody introduced us, and you quickly talked me out of pursuing the college <laughs> market. But we stayed in touch, and we became friends. We did. We did. You know, the college market is a very special market. I mean, I think people think it's easier than it's going to be. College students are always changing. Every four years, you have a new generation in there, so you have to be very nimble in that market. And, and uh, 
you know, as you get older as a speaker or an entrepreneur, that that audience seems to keep getting younger. So it's definitely a challenging group, you know. Well, and as uh, you and then also a, a gentleman named Mike Domish told me, you know, the biggest problem with my topic was it was really geared towards seniors and where they go off in their life. And what I never imagined was that colleges actually don't spend money on programs as much for seniors as they do for freshmen and sophomore, because part of what they want to do is keep those people engaged and get them training, keep them coming back until they graduate. That if you're looking to, you know, teach them something that was career skills that would take them out senior year, that wasn't where the money was going to go. And that was sort of an interesting discovery uh, for me as I thought, oh, colleges would love this because what I'm teaching about your network and your brand and getting out there is really important. And what I discovered as I tried to put my toe in that water is that when I got hired to speak on college campuses, Everybody loved it. The problem was yeah. is that I rarely got hired to speak on college campuses because my my message was geared towards the, the the seniors and those who had one foot out the door. Well, fundamentally, if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're or a small business owner and you're investing money in professional development, you're hoping that you're investing in things that will develop your employees that they will use while they're there working for your company. Uh, you know, as much as your employees might love a seminar that you would put on for them about how to get a better job that pays four times as much and <laughs> how that how to get the hell away from the company you're working for, um, that's not something you as an employer are going to pay for. So it's the same concept. Colleges are really worried about what's going on in their community that's right in front of them. Um, as much as they want their students to be successful, they are very focused on success in the short term right there in their community. Not you know, The students love to hear about what they want to do five years from now, maybe, but um, that's not what the college's priority is. So it's the same thing. Sure, absolutely. So, so you did that for a long time, and now you're transitioning. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, so I sold out of the company in 2014, and boy, that was a big transition. It wasn't entirely voluntary, and it was uh, one of those situations I really thought I was going to retire from my company. I mean, that's what I, you know, I spent 15 years building it and it was so tied to my personality and so tied to my ethics and, and, you know, the way that I thought business should be done right down to the thank you notes we wrote every morning, you know, and, and then it wasn't mine anymore. And suddenly I found myself at 46 years old having to figure out what the hell I was going to do. So <laughs> what do you, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, Mr. Exactly. Almost 50 you know, year old. And honestly, it's easier to answer that question at 30 than it is at 46. You know, um, I think people who are listening who maybe are in their 40s or 50s can relate to how difficult it is to have to think to yourself, where the hell do I go now? Do I put a resume? I mean, I hadn't had a resume or a job interview in 20 years. And so uh, I had to think about, you know, there's so many options. Do I start a new company? Do I just continue the consulting thing for a while? Do I start putting resumes out? And and the honest, the honest answer to that, Tom, is I'm doing all of them. I, I've, I've, I've sat around some days thinking about the next business I might start up. I've also thought about, man, it would be nice to go and use all this experience, this executive experience, this leadership experience I have to uh, lead a company that needs to grow to that next stage. I would be really good at that. And then there's a little part of me that really craves the entrepreneurial freedom of not having employees and just writing books and speaking and doing all those things. So I've been doing all three of those things, and I'm kind of giving myself the time to figure out what which of those three paths feels the best to me. And I, and I don't have an answer today. Maybe I will a week from now, but I don't have it today. So when you originally launched out doing your own thing with the program that, that you wrote where you went around to college campuses in 1992, yeah. was that right after college, or had you actually had a corporate job for a while before that? Oh, well, I was working in the higher ed world. I was working for a nonprofit organization that was working in the higher ed world on uh, doing health education, alcohol education, things like that. And so I was in the world, but I certainly was working for very low wages like a lot of people in higher education. Um, I had, you know, credit card debt like everybody else and student loans and the whole thing. And um, so when I started speaking in 92, I was like, man, this is 
I can make money and I can pay some bills and I can, you know, maybe have a better car. You know, those were my, that was my vision. I had nothing to lose. You know, so, I had, so is that what led you into the life of being an entrepreneur was more opportunity? Yeah. Well, I, I that and I just, just hunger, hunger to do, it, to do it my way. You know, when you're 20, I think, gosh, I, how old was I? I was 24 at the time. You know, you think you know everything. I thought I knew everything I needed to know to go out and do it. And, and we were successful. You know, I was fortunate that when we were talking about HIV and AIDS in the early 90s. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to talk to TJ Sullivan. And TJ is someone who is an entrepreneur in transition. And I think these are some of the best people that we bring on the show, is people who are going through sort of a reinvention and a change. And so we're going to talk with him about kind of what he's done the last several years and, and, and what he's doing now and where he hopes to be headed in the future. So I would like to welcome to the show TJ Sullivan. TJ, welcome. Hi, Tom. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, I could read bios about who people are and what they do and sort of the long list of everything they've done, sure. but I've sort of found it's better if you let the audience know who you are, where you've been, and where you're going. So so tell everybody a little bit about TJ Sullivan. Sure. Well, I'll just, I think the best place to start is around 1992 when I found out that one of my best friends from college was HIV positive and and uh, this was 1992, back when, you know, the AIDS crisis was about 10 years old and, you know, a diagnosis of HIV uh, infection was pretty much a death sentence. And so he and I started talking about what he could do with the time he had left to, uh, you know, make the most of, of the opportunity and while he was healthy. And so we talked about, wouldn't it be great to do a program for college students? And, and so we started putting that together. And before you knew it, we put a program together uh, out there on the road. And for about seven years, we traveled all over the country and, and uh, did, we spoke to over 2 million college students. And I really think in that, in that important decade of AIDS awareness, as it spread out to the larger population, we played a pretty big role helping uh, the young college uh, population figure out how to stay HIV negative. So that was, the, that was for about seven or eight years. And when I was done with that, I decided to get off the road. I wanted to start a family. And I was really chomping at the bit to uh, own a, what I considered a real business, you know, a business with an office and computers <laughs> and all those things that we think an office is going to be. I had this vision of myself, uh, you know, being a big business mogul. And so I sure. started a, like walking a, in every day and everybody like pouring coffee and going, cheers, the boss is here. Hello, yeah, TJ. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which Just is like that, which is know, the I, way it always I, happens, right? Yeah, it always, you know, I never I never foresaw the uh, the HR issues and the insurance and the all the other garbage that you have to deal with. I just yeah, but honestly, you laugh about the coffee maker. Yeah. I wanted a coffee maker, you know, after seven years of, of, uh, drinking coffee out of hotel, uh, lobbies, I wanted to, I wanted to have a place to go to work each day. And so I started this company and for 15 years built this company from, uh, I, I always laugh. We started with a folding table and two folding chairs. Uh, and that was it. Day one, we got a, we had a room, uh, a two room office behind a Hooters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but did it have a coffee machine? It did not have a coffee We that took a while. We had to work up to that, but uh, but uh, we did um, we did build it. Me and my first hire, uh, we built it uh, up uh, over time, and within fifteen years, we were the market leading uh, speakers agency in the college market, and had you know sixty five, seventy speakers and and facilitators, and we had the largest 
portion of the college market share, and we were a $6 million company. So it was pretty amazing. Well, and uh, you and I actually years. met because yeah. I was looking, as I started, started my speaking career, I was looking at the college market, and you and yeah. I met because somebody introduced us, and you quickly talked me out of pursuing the college <laughs> market. But we stayed in touch, and we became friends. We did. We did. You know, the college market is a very special market. I mean, I think people think it's easier than it's going to be. College students are always changing. Every four years, you have a new generation in there, so you have to be very nimble in that market. And, and uh, you know, as you get older as a speaker or an entrepreneur, that that audience seems to keep getting younger. So it's definitely a challenging group, you know. <laughs> well, and as uh, you and then also a, a gentleman named Mike Domish told me, you know, the biggest problem with my topic was it was really geared towards seniors and where they go off in their life. And what I never imagined was that colleges actually don't spend money on programs as much for seniors as they do for freshmen and sophomore, because part of what they want to do is keep those people engaged and get them trained and keep them coming back until they graduate. That if you're looking to, you know, teach them something that was career skills that would take them out senior year, that wasn't where the money was going to go. And that was sort of an interesting discovery uh, for me is I thought, oh, colleges would love this because what I'm teaching about your network and your brand and getting out there is really important. And what I discovered as I tried to put my toe in that water is that when I got hired to speak on college campuses, Everybody loved it. The problem was yeah. is that I rarely got hired to speak on college campuses because my my message was geared towards the, the the seniors and those who had one foot out the door. Well, fundamentally, if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're or a small business owner and you're investing money in professional development, you're hoping that you're investing in things that will develop your employees that they will use while they're there working for your company. Uh, you know, as much as your employees might love a seminar that you would put on for them about how to get a better job that pays four times as much and <laughs> how that how to get the hell away from the company you're working for, um, that's not something you as an employer are going to pay for. So it's the same concept. Colleges are really worried about what's going on in their community that's right in front of them. Um, as much as they want their students to be successful, they are very focused on success in the short term right there in their community. Not you know, The students love to hear about what they want to do five years from now, maybe, but um, that's not what the college's priority is. So it's the same thing. Sure, absolutely. So, so you did that for a long time, and now you're transitioning. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, so I sold out of the company in 2014, and boy, that was a big transition. It wasn't entirely voluntary, and it was uh, one of those situations I really thought I was going to retire from my company. I mean, that's what I, you know, I spent 15 years building it and it was so tied to my personality and so tied to my ethics and, and, you know, the way that I thought business should be done right down to the thank you notes we wrote every morning, you know, and, and then it wasn't mine anymore. And suddenly I found myself at 46 years old having to figure out what the hell I was going to do. So <laughs> what do you, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, Mr. Exactly. Almost 50 you know, year old. And honestly, it's easier to answer that question at 30 than it is at 46. You know, um, I think people who are listening who maybe are in their 40s or 50s can relate to how difficult it is to have to think to yourself, where the hell do I go now? Do I put a resume? I mean, I hadn't had a resume or a job interview in 20 years. And so uh, I had to think about, you know, there's so many options. Do I start a new company? Do I just continue the consulting thing for a while? Do I start putting resumes out? And and the honest, the honest answer to that, Tom, is I'm doing all of them. I, I've, I've, I've sat around some days thinking about the next business I might start up. I've also thought about, man, it would be nice to go and use all this experience, this executive experience, this leadership experience I have to uh, lead a company that needs to grow to that next stage. I would be really good at that. And then there's a little part of me that really craves the entrepreneurial freedom of not having employees and just writing books and speaking and doing all those things. So I've been doing all three of those things and I'm kind of giving myself the time to figure out what which of those three paths feels the best to me. And I, and I don't have an answer today. Maybe I will a week from now, but I don't have it today. 
So when you originally launched out doing your own thing with the program that, that you wrote where you went around to college campuses in 1992, yeah. was that right after college or had you actually had a corporate job for a while before that? Oh, well, I was working in the higher ed world. I was working for a nonprofit organization that was working in the higher ed world on uh, doing health education, alcohol education, things like that. And so I was in the world, but I certainly was working for very low wages like a lot of people in higher education. Um, I had, you know, credit card debt like everybody else and student loans and the whole thing. And um, so when I started speaking in 92, I was like, man, this is I can make money and I can pay some bills and I can, you know, maybe have a better car. You know, those were my, that was my vision. I had nothing to lose. You know, so, I had, so is that what like, led you into the life of being an entrepreneur was more opportunity? Yeah. Well, I, I that and I just just hunger, hunger to do it, to do it my way. You know, when you're 20, I think, gosh, I, how old was I? I was 24 at the time. You know, you think you know everything. I thought I knew everything I needed to know to go out and do it. And, and we were successful. You know, I was fortunate that when we were talking about HIV and AIDS in the early 90s, we were the right people at the right time, you know, to fraternity guys talking about HIV and AIDS was was earth shaking back then, you know, and we were the right guys at the right time. And we did that. But, you know, as time goes on, and it morphed into the into the company that I founded in 99. um, You know, it became a matter of learning as you go. I think entrepreneur, anybody who's been an entrepreneur will tell you, as you know, that you don't know half of what you need to know to do it. But if you if you let that stop you, you would never do it. If people had any idea how much they'd get their butt kicked, being an entrepreneur, nobody would do it, you know? You learn and you get stronger, you know? And you talked about being 24 and, you know, you yeah. feel like you know it all. And now as yeah. you get closer to 50, you realize, oh my gosh, I, I really don't. What was it that when after you sort of made that leap, what is it that made yeah. you say, wow, I like this, I, w- I want to keep going? And, and what do you love about it now? Well, okay. So the thing I loved about owning my own company both times, I mean, the speaking on the HIV and AIDS stuff was seven years. And then the company that followed that was another 15 and a half years or so. What I loved about it was that it was, it was, it was intrinsically tied to who I was. It was part of my identity. When I walked into a conference or I walked into a business setting, I was my company. You know, that company was me, which is such a unique, that ownership, that ownership mentality is so powerful, you know, but that's also what made it really hard to suddenly not have that company. You know, in 2014, when I walked away from that company uh, and other people, you know, took it a different direction, it was just like a like a limb of mine had been cut off. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. You know, it was uh, I really grieved and I really felt suddenly like a large part of my identity was gone. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs think about building up the company into something huge, but they don't think a lot about what they would do if it failed or if it or if it got bought out, or if it uh, you know merged and suddenly they were not tied to it anymore, that's really hard. It's like a divorce. It really is. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what yeah. you know you kind of go through that. I mean, it was clearly like grieving process that you went through the last year oh, and yeah. a half. Oh my god, are you kidding? Yeah, um, just almost like dealing with the trauma of the whole thing. The the deterioration of relationships. Uh, you know, it's funny, a lot of people who go through divorces and anybody who's been through a divorce will, will relate to this. You, you sort of, you question very, very carefully who your friends are and who your friends are not, you know, which friends did you inherit and which friends did they inherit, you know? And I went through the same thing with my company. I suddenly wasn't sure who was on my side and who was on their side. And, and it was, um, it was really, really hard. You know, you, it, it took a real toll on my trust. And, uh, I, I definitely think, you know, a year and a half after that whole, whole thing went down, I, I definitely am more reserved and less trusting than I was, um, less naive perhaps. Um, there's some scar tissue there, but, um, Again, you know, every, a good entrepreneur knows that every experience you take from every experience you, you have, you take something from that, you learn, and it you incorporate it into your knowledge, into your into who you are as you approach future situations. And and so I I don't regret 
um, that things happen, but I do realize that it's not always easy to just bounce back from one opportunity and bounce into another. I think that's a myth that people have of entrepreneurs is that you take away one thing and 10 minutes later, they're going to have something else. And maybe some people are like that, but uh, I had to grieve. I definitely had to grieve. So I know you don't want to dwell on the negative side of it, but what sure. is that positive side? What is the part that now that you look back and, and you're ready to you know go down your next path, what is the yeah. part where you say, yeah, I'm, I've learned. What's the lesson in this for other people? Well, there's small lessons that are critical, things like make sure you get everything in writing. <laughs> Nothing like going through a divorce and realizing that you didn't have a lot of things in writing that you should have. You know, op- We tend to operate on trust a lot in entrepreneurial situations because we, we just want to focus on getting the job done. We don't want to focus as much on the process sometimes. So in retrospect, I look back and go, man, I really should have been a lot more formal about how I did some things. Um, a lot of things that were that were just verbal agreements or, you know, gentlemanly agreements between people, uh, those blow up pretty easily when things go badly. So I learned lessons like that. Um, going forward, if I ever, if I started another company tomorrow, I would definitely be a lot more formal about that and spend the money necessary to, to, uh, to be more careful with those things. Um, but you know, when you're 31, 32 years old, starting a company, you don't feel like you have to worry about all those details. You know, as you get a little older, you realize you have to protect your assets. Um, so those, th- some lessons like that, um, I also would be very careful uh, to probably be more focused than I was when I was starting my company. I was I was very um, focused in a lot of different directions. I wanted us to be excellent at everything. You know, uh, looking back, I probably would be more focused and and try to be better at fewer things uh, than we were. We were trying to do conferencing. We were trying to do workshops. We were trying to do speakers. We were trying to do publications. We were all over the place. And uh, sometimes I think you're you're better off sticking to your knitting, so to speak. So you like the life of being an entrepreneur, but as you oh. look to the future, are there ever days, well, you kind of alluded to that there are, are there ever days that you think, wow, I could go get a job and get a paycheck every two weeks and have benefits and like go home on Friday and not have to think about it? I guess the, I guess the correct answer for your podcast is, oh my God, I only want to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life, but that's just not true. <laughs> no, you know? I, in I, fact, I, actually, I, love, I love the answers when people go, oh, I have those days all yeah, the time. Oh my God, are you kidding? I, I actually, I I went, I was a finalist for a CEO position for uh, a nonprofit uh, and I went and interviewed with them and I d- it didn't end up going my way, uh, which might be a blessing. We'll see. But, um, but as I was there for the interview and I was looking around and I was realizing, my God, there are so many things already in place. I would not get to create everything from scratch. I would have to, I would have to operate within the history of the organization. I would have to operate within the established, uh, you know, expectations that employees have. I would have to please a board of directors that has their own baggage that they bring to the, to the situation. So there's definite downsides, but yeah, there was also a part of me that was going, it'd be nice to not to have better health insurance than I've ever had. <laughs> you know, as an entrepreneur, I think most of us have the, have just horrible health insurance. And there's a little part of me at 47 that wouldn't mind having Cadillac health insurance. <laughs> so what advice do you have for somebody? Maybe they're, maybe they're 24 and they're, you know, just starting to get that pang that they're going to go start their own thing, or, or maybe they're 46 and yeah. they've never done it. What advice do you have for someone who wants to go down the entrepreneur path? Well, I would say the, the, the best advice I ever got, and unfortunately I got it about six or seven years into my entrepreneurial journey, was to pay yourself first. And I know people talk about that, but we don't tend to prioritize it as entrepreneurs because we're, we're taking, you know, we're taking the wounds for the, for the good of the company that we're building, but you really do have to be on top of that savings and, and, and taking care of yourself and your family. I, I learned that the hard way. You know, I, when I started that company, I, I went two, three years without ever taking a paycheck, living off savings and credit cards, you know, to get that company off the ground. And then once I was able to pay myself, I didn't maximize 
putting away money to myself. I always dump that money into a new employee or a new project or a new piece of equipment for the company because that was always more exciting for me than sending it to my to my uh, IRA. You know, um, I would say to entrepreneurs, you know, as you're looking at the overall plan of can I do this and does it make financial sense and will this pay off for me? You have to figure in paying yourself as part of the budget. You know, you have to take care of yourself because you don't want to get 20 years into it and find out that every, all your peers your age have been saving and putting away and, and you haven't been. Uh, <laughs> so that would be my advice to people is make sure you're paying yourself. You know, you want to, you want to be good to your people and you want to, you want to build your company as quickly and successfully as you can, but you got to take care of that part of your life uh, and, and have an eye toward the future. Well, I guess the good news is when I talk to financial planners, most people haven't done that. So even if you yeah. haven't, you're probably not going to find that all your peers have done it because I think it's a it's a small number of people who probably have that nest egg put away by our well, age. Well, it's, it's definitely a different choice. You know, my best friend is a vice president of a major you know, fortune 100 company, you know, he's, he, he's doing quite well, you know, he's got the uh, second uh, home in Florida and, and uh, his kids have their college paid for and different things. And so there's a little part of me, I'm not going to lie, that looks at that and goes, wow, you know, he's going to have a certain degree of comfort in his later years that I might not have. But, but, you know, again, it was never an option for me to not go out and create my own thing. I'm a creative builder type of person. And so I have no regrets of the path I chose. I just would advise people to make sure that they have somebody in their life, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a good financial advisor that's you know, coercing them into doing what's best for their long-term future. So TJ, I've got more questions for you. But first, I got to thank the sponsor yep. of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like TJ Sullivan. For an exclusive offer to those who listen to cool things entrepreneurs do who want to start their own podcast, you go jump on over to podfly.net slash cool things and you'll see the offer that they have for you. Hey, TJ. I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest thing you're doing with your career right now? Well, you know, as I've got some time right now between – I feel like I'm between big chapters of my life, but I wanted to use that time effectively. So I've I've launched a podcast like everybody else, right? Well, uh, yeah, because everybody has a podcast now. In fact, I actually understand now that after they slap your butt when you're born, they hand you a podcast. Yes. There's a a quarter of a million of them on iTunes right now, as a matter of fact. So, um, But, you know, these days it's funny. Like everybody – every barista at every Starbucks in the country can do an iPod, uh, do a, a podcast on their iPhone. So um, <laughs> I actually you know, recorded an episode uh, two weeks ago that actually was recorded on my iPhone while I sat yes. in my Mustang just to see what the sound was like. I was just curious if I could sit there and, and do a solo episode right off my phone. And it actually turned out great. You know, right now it's the wild west when it comes to podcasts. And so um, everybody is choosing how they want to do it. You know, whether it's using the company that you referred to that you, uh, is it Podfly? Fly, yeah, Pod- Podfly. Podfly Productions. Podfly, sorry. Yeah, um, you know, using them or doing it on your iPhone. You know, for me, I went the old-fashioned way and bought, you know, $1,500 worth of microphones and a mixer board <laughs> and the whole deal. And I've been flying around the country doing uh, interviews. And I'm so I'm, I'm doing a different method. Uh, you know, I'm going kind of old school on mine, but I'm having a lot of fun. I, I started a podcast called the E20 Podcast. 
Uh, and it's on iTunes and Stitcher and so forth. And we've, uh, we're about six episodes in where we've been interviewing people who are in their 20s or recently out of their 20s and talking about how they can make that decade of their life count. You know, a lot of people these days in their 20s don't feel an immense pressure from society to do a certain thing with that decade of their lives. You know, back when you and I were young, Tom, you know, there was a lot of pressure to get a job, start a family, buy a house, do all those things. Oh, I was married. I was married by 25 and had my yeah. first kid at 30. Exactly. There was a prescription that we were supposed to follow. Well, today's 20-year-olds don't have that. And so there's a lot of wandering and a lot of uncertainty about whether they should be changing the world or just, you know, having fun or whatever. So I've been interviewing uh, a different person each month and talking about all kinds of different choices. You know, I talked to uh, a roller derby uh, person. I've talked to uh, someone who's fighting HIV and being an HIV activist. Uh, um, next month, I'm talking to a transgender issues uh, activist working in New York City. So I'm talking to all these really cool, interesting people who are making their third decade count. That's actually our tagline, make your third decade count. And uh, I'm having a blast. It's really fun. After so many years of working exclusively with college students, I'm really enjoying spreading my wings a little bit and talking to people that are under 30 about the good things they're doing. Well, and I've been listening to your show, and I will tell you that it's not just for people who are in their 20s. 20s, your show, you know, the third decade, I'm ready to hit the sixth decade. And actually, the, yeah. stuff that's, the stuff that's on your show is good for anybody. In fact, one of your guests, Pete, is it Pete Smith, is going to be uh, a guest on this show coming up in the next couple of weeks because I heard him on your show. And I thought that's the type of guy we interview on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Yeah, Pete is wonderful. And Pete's a great example. I went there to interview him about food. I thought we were going to talk about food uh, because of the food company that he he runs. And when we sat there and, and just organized organically were face to face and spent a good afternoon together. I realized the story with Pete was not about food. Uh, that's part of his story. But the real story for him is what happens when you have it all and then lose it all. And boy, you want to talk about a guy who has a fabulous outlook on life. That guy is great. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone enjoys your show. And I'll be, it'll be fun to listen to what how your interview with him goes. Um, but I hope people will listen to both the E20 podcast interview with Pete and yours to, uh, to see the full, the full, uh, the full story on Pete because he's pretty remarkable. Oh, yeah, because we'll take an entirely different gamut because you were focusing on sort of his journey in his 20s and, right. you know, kissing the girls on exotic islands and, exactly. and, and you know, all that. But I, I want to sort of take it to, you know, talk a little bit about what he overcame and then how he goes into to the future with that. I think it'll be fascinating to also talk to him about how he chose that path because he, when he came out of his dark period, he was ill for a long time. He could have gone a lot of different directions, but he decided to go entrepreneurial and, and, and uh, he wrote a great essay on uh, for their company's website about that. Uh, and so it, I think his choice to do that, it, it will be great for your listeners. Well, and I just bring it up as a little commercial for what's coming in the next couple of weeks. But at the same time, you know, that's where I found him was listening to your show. And I'm not the demographic for your show. In fact, I'm almost the parent of someone who is the demographic for your show. I have I have an 18, well, soon nice, to be 19 year old. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is that I think people who are older than 30 definitely can listen to it and relate to the lessons that are there. And they can say, yeah, you know, I learned similar lessons or boy, I wish I had learned that when I was Pete's age instead of, you know, in my 40s. So no, I, it's actually funny. Most of the people who I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a lot of social media from from people who are in their 20s, which is really great because that's the stated demographic for the show. But then I'm getting lots and lots of stuff from people older uh, than that saying, wow, this is really motivating me to not be afraid to try it again, to go out there and do it again. Because, you know, a lot of people like me right now are trying to figure out what's the next chapter, what's the second act, what's the third act in my life. And 
And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's easier to be an entrepreneur in your 20s than it is in your 40s. I'll tell you that much, Tom. Well, I have two young professionals who I mentor. They sort of found me. One saw me speak when he was a college student and asked to take me out to coffee and just sort of kept in touch with me and built built a pretty good relationship with me. And the other guy was in a Starbucks one time and he went asked if I'd watch his computer while he went to the bathroom. And when he came <laughs> back, he was kind of frustrated and he was going to apply for a job. And he was a little curious about the questions they were going to ask him. And it turned out, you know, he sort of hit the who are you sitting next to lotto because that's sort of what I teach, right? Is how do you how do you communicate right. in business? And so we had this long conversation. He went to the interview and what I told him was really helpful. And so he took me out for a drink to say thank you and then sort of adopted me as like his mentor. And, and the two of them, I introduced them and now they're best buddies. That's great. And uh, I spend a lot of time, well, not a lot of time, but I spend some time with them. And it's interesting because they always say no one's ever talked to us. You know, our parents don't tell us about life and business the way you do. So I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there who are in their 20s who are looking for the type of guidance that you're giving with your podcast. Well, it's amazing how networking is coming back. Like people in their 20s, these young entrepreneurs, it's almost like they're discovering networking and they think it's like some new thing that has just come on the scene. You know? Hey, hey if you talk to somebody and you're <laughs> gracious to them and you make them feel important, they might help you. It's, it's amazing. I was recently interviewed for an article in Forbes and uh, the whole point of the article was how uh, these millennial entrepreneurs are finding that some of the old school methods that they dismissed you know, when they started are actually important to learn. So it's funny, they, they're learning that success isn't about having a number of Twitter followers. It's about actually finding customers who will pay, you know, things like that. <laughs> well, and, so. and and I find, so, you know, when I do my conference program where I try to get people more engaged at live events, sometimes yeah. I get pushback from like meeting planners who are like, oh, well, so many of our attendees are in their 20s. They won't like this idea of actually speaking to the other humans. Yeah. We, don't, we don't think you're the right hire. And then for whatever <laughs> reason, they do end up hiring me. It's directly those people in their 20s who like come up afterwards and line up and say, you know, this is the best conference I've ever been to because of what you said. Oh my gosh. And it's almost like somebody saying, you know, it's okay to use your phone, but maybe don't pull it out while you're pouring the coffee. Maybe talk to the other person who's putting sugar in their coffee. They're like, do you know when you talk to somebody at the coffee, they talk back to you. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's like they're so, and I, I'm not mocking them. It's that they are so excited on how easy it is at a live event to start conversations if you just engage with people that it becomes this self fulfilling thing for the whole event. And I just laugh when somebody goes, "I don't know that the millennials will like your message." It's like they're the ones who like my message the most. Well, you know, and there are there is that portion that don't like it because it's their comfort zone. It's easier for them when they're at a table of six people at a restaurant to pull out their phone and check social media than to sit there uncomfortably and think about the next thing they want to talk about. But they, after a while, and if, especially if they're entrepreneurs, they realize that they have to get out of the comfort zone, stop doing what's easy and start doing what works. But it's and their generation who's taught me, and I, I actually teach this in some of the stuff, the, the, the conferences I speak at and the workshops I do. Yeah. It was the young people who taught me about phone stacks. And my daughter says that like, yeah. she'll go out, she's on a college campus and they'll go out to dinner. And the, when they invite everybody, they're like, okay, everybody who comes to dinner agrees to put their phones away the whole time we're at the table, or we're going to st- do a phone stack and put them in the middle of the table and nobody touches them. And it's it's like a big deal. They're like planning ahead for no phone time when they're together with their friends. So I don't I don't think they're they're appalled. They're the ones who are inventing new ways to to actually stop the phones. It's it's swinging back the other direction. I I will say that I I think anecdotally that is more of a novel idea than an actual practice. It's still you go to most restaurants and you look around and people under 30 are still checking their phones six, seven times during the course of a meal. Uh, and so 
you know, and and then when everybody gets up, the first thing they do is look at their phone. Um, so there's going to be some. Of course, first thing I do when I get up is look at my phone too. So yeah, yeah. Well, we're all doing it. We're all attached to those damn those damn uh, personal personal devices. But uh, it'll swing back. You know, eventually it's going to get boring. You know. Um, all all things go in cycles. So So let's talk uh, about networking really quick here. What, how important do you think for an entrepreneur of any age that network really is? Well, there's opportunities you can create and then there's opportunities you have to be open for. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs know that it takes a combination of both to make, to make real success happen. You have to be able to create, you know, a lot of your success, but you also have to be open to success. You never know when you're going to be on an airplane and talk to that person next to you who's going to be the person who's going to make the introduction that's going to change your entire business life. And uh, if we put our headphones on the minute we sit on the plane, uh, we run the risk of missing those opportunities. So I think it's it's a combination of both. You know, I think we have to do, but I think uh, successful entrepreneurs have to be open to both both possibilities, and and whichever one of those is hardest for them, they have to be uh, they have to train themselves to do it. So as you've been reinventing yourself and finding your new path, how much networking yeah. have you been doing? I've been doing a ton actually. I actually joined an organization in uh, Colorado in the Denver area called Certus C E R T U S. Uh, network.com And it's a local organization, but it's an organization that's very fundamentally geared toward solopreneurs and, and entrepreneurs to get together, get the hell out of their office, get out of their, their office in their house, whatever it is, wherever they work, the Starbucks or whatever, and actually go out and force themselves to talk and meet other people. And and it's really based on the – are you familiar with the Go-Giver? Oh, of uh, course, book Bob, Berg. Bob Berg. You Absolutely. Know that? It's, yeah, it's based, on, it's based on Bob Berg's book, um, The Go-Giver. And uh, go give her sell more, which is his follow up book to that. And and you know it's it's pretty fabulous. The idea that you know you go into a situation, whether it's ten people in the room or hundred and ten, you go in there with an idea of how can I help other people. And when you become that person, that go giver, you really do have great benefits come back to you in spades. You know, but it seems like such a basic lesson. But I would recommend to all of your uh, all of your listeners if they haven't read Bob Berg's book, The Go Giver, go get it. Absolutely. So TJ, we could talk about you and all the cool things that you've done all day long. However, I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask the people who come on my show, who is it out there that you see who's doing something really awesome as an entrepreneur? Well, I would really recommend people go check out uh, my friend Sam Davidson, who is the CEO and founder of Batch, B-A-T-C-H. And uh, I think if you Google Batch Nashville, that's probably the best way to start. I always forget his website. Um, But uh, Batch Nashville, they're doing Really, it's it's so fun to watch Sam build this company. It's become so impressive. I was just at his uh, at their at their base of operations in the farmers market in Nashville, Tennessee, and just to see how they're incorporating all the you know the organic food type of uh, movement that's going on with some good old fashioned business and sales and different things. I, I'm loving what he's doing, and and uh, Sam is just my hero in terms of he's he's such a big thinker. And uh, he's batch has expanded to gosh Austin and uh, a couple other cities. Um, I think they're doing some work in New Orleans and different things. And basically, what they're doing is they're they're taking the local flavor of a city, the local flavor of a region, and they're making it available to people all over the country. So you can order from them a box of stuff that you know is all made by small um, producers in the Nashville area. Um, and you're you're supporting micro businesses, but you're you know through your money. So a lot of these, a lot, a lot of the meeting planners. So for example, if meeting planners are are doing a big convention in Nashville, they'll call Batch and they'll put together gifts for all their attendees or for all their VIPs, that sort of thing, so that people are able to take home a bit of the flavor from the local area. And I think it's just so cool. So d- totally check out what Sam Davidson's doing at Batch. I think it's great. 
That's great. Hey, TJ, thank you so much for jumping on and being a guest on today's episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If somebody listened to this and they're thinking, hey, I got to know more about this TJ Sullivan guy, how do they find you? <laughs> well, the E20 podcast is, is easily found. You just search on any social uh, media platform for E2O podcast. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the whole deal. So, uh, And E20podcast.com is our website. That's probably the best place to go. And if anybody uh, has any ideas for amazing people in their 20s who would be good subjects for my show, please let us know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here on the show. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back in a couple of days, as we always are. But in the meantime, we're just about to start the Cool Things Project, which is the group coaching program that I'm putting together. If you're interested, be sure to email me at tom at tomsinger.com. We're going to try to put together a little community of people who are looking at you know starting their own thing, growing their own thing, or maybe... They feel like they're caught in the high middle of their career, and they want to find a way to go even higher. So we're going to start a little discussion group. So if you want information, I'm still in the process of redoing my website, so I don't have a place for it. you got to send me that email if you want to know more. And like I said, we'll be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as TJ. But in the meantime, you go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.